Okay, metaphors for the Holy Spirit. Start out by a quick definition going right off our notes. The the Bible uses eight metaphors or word pictures that uh, connect the Holy Spirit with his ministry to Christ and the saints. These, These metaphors are taken from the natural world, and examples there are dove, fire, oil, water, and wind. The legal world, pledge and seal. And then the domestic world, clothing. <laughs> so we're going to look at all these this morning. And when we do, each one's going to, again, tell us about various aspects of the ministry of the Holy Spirit um, <clears throat> and how he functions within his people. We'll start with the dove. That's probably one of the, that's probably the most familiar with most people. Because a lot of churches have a dove on their marquees and stuff like that. Matter of fact, we'll look at the we'll look at the Matthew passage this morning. Again, now all now all four of these passages that I've referenced here are uh, they're applied to the actual baptism of Christ. So where the where the Spirit descended like a dove. Now in Matthew it says now the, the dove is symbolic of innocence and blamelessness. We're in Matthew. So Matthew ten sixteen, Jesus using that uh, using the word dove. He says, uh, "Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves." So again, doves are are the picture of innocence. I mean, you can see dove. I mean. Um, <clears throat> You've never heard of attack doves. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know like, uh, you know, blackbirds will swoop down on you, crows, ravens. You never heard a dove like, oh, I got, I got picked in the ear by a dove, you know. No, they, that doesn't happen. Now, the word innocent uh, in the Greek describes one who is without guile, cunning, or deceit. In other words, blameless or righteous. And that same Greek word uh, <clears throat> for dove here is found in Philippians 2:15. I'd like to. Uh, <clears throat> I'd like to look at that passage. And Philippians 2:15 says, "Well, I'll back up 14 just to establish a bit better context. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. There's that word, children of God, above reproach in the midst of, of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. So again, that word means uh, innocent. It means without, and it, it's kind of like above reproach. It, the whole concept of that innocence is like, hey, you know, if they look at you, if the world looks at us, they can say, hey, we don't, we don't see anything real, really wrong with that person. Okay. Now, also about doves, and here well, the point I think will be coming up when we read the whole passage of Matthew, but doves were also used as substitutes for the sacrificial lamb if one could not afford a lamb in the, in the Old Testament sacrificial system. And I want to look at the Leviticus. Let's look at, well, we'll just look at all of them. We, we've got time, I think. Leviticus one fourteen. One fourteen. But if his offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, then he shall bring his offering from the turtle doves or young pigeons. And the priest shall bring it to the altar and, and it ring off its head. It's a nice little story here. But 
we're going we're gonna to move on, but you get the point. It's a sacrifice. I just want to move through. Now, Leviticus 5.7. Leviticus 5.7 says, and this is the part I wanted to, sh- wanted to bring out too, but if he cannot afford a lamb, and it's talking about different sacrifices, the sin offering, guilt offerings, and there's, there, there's all these different kinds of offerings. And in all of them, you've got the doves as an option. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord his guilt offering <clears throat> for that in which he has sinned, two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Then it goes on and explains uh, how the methodology, how you actually do the, 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 for the priest, how the priest is to actually use that birds or those birds as offerings. And then... Uh, Leviticus 12, 6 through 8. And now here's one that I want to bring out because it's going to... Leviticus 12, 6 through 8 says, And when the days... Now this is about the purification of a woman that uh, gives birth. When the days of her purification are completed for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the doorway of the tent a meeting one, <clears throat> a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a, and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering then he shall offer it before the lord and make atonement for her and she and and she shall be cleansed from her flow of her blood that is the law for her she who bears a child whether male or female but if she cannot afford a lamb then she shall take two turtle doves or two young pigeons the one for a burnt offering the other for a sin offering and the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean now again aren't you glad you're not under the law. Now, Luke, I want to compare that to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 22. And we are in the season where this became a, a, a topic in uh, the Gospel. Now, we're at the part here where this is eight days after Christ is born. They, they were under the law. They follow the law. The uh, Jesus then is taken and presented in the temple. And here's part of that. And we'll begin chapter 2, verse 22. And when the days for the purification, according to the law, that's what we just read in Leviticus 12, <clears throat> of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according <clears throat> to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You notice they didn't talk about the lamb. That shows that Mary and Joseph were not of an, they didn't have the kind of income that could have afforded a lamb that was unblemished a prime animal of the flock. So they went out and had to purchase two doves. Okay. And what's the point? Back to Matthew 3. Hope it'll all come together here. Matthew 3, beginning 13 through 17. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee to the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and, 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 and you come to me. But Jesus answered, said to him, 
Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Now, in verses 13 through 15, we see Jesus came to John the Baptist, and he stated, For the purpose of fulfilling all righteousness. Well, Remember, this baptism was a baptism, quote, unto repentance. Well, what did Jesus have to repent of? Nothing. But Jesus wanted to identify, not only he wanted to identify himself with the people, but also because that was the current rule in play to fulfill all righteousness, he's not going to avoid that which was uh, proclaimed that by the prophet John the Baptist to be done. So he wasn't going to say, well, I don't need to do that and just walk away. He went to fulfill all righteousness. He went and did it. I think that's all part of him when he came. What, what does it say? He emptied himself, put himself under subjection, even to that portion of the law, and he'd be the only human being alive that that, that wouldn't really technically apply to but he submitted to it anyway because that was what was required to do by God. So by, by God's prophet. Yeah. Oh, and didn't he say he came to fulfill the law? Yes. Yeah, he came. I, he didn't come. Of course, now John's baptism wasn't part of the law. It, was, it came from the prophet John the Baptist himself. And when John preaches, come, repent, be baptized. Okay, and that baptism was a sign that uh, the, the one who was being baptized was saying, was giving public demonstration that I have repented of my sin. I'm ready to receive the kingdom. And, um, <clears throat> and that's why, well, in, right here in, in earlier in Matthew 3, when the Pharisees showed up, he says, where have you snakes come from? You know, if you're going to get baptized, you didn't show evidence of repentance, right? So... And that was, the, that was what was going on there. Now, then you see in verse 16, the Holy Spirit descending. Well, the Holy Spirit seen as a dove, picturing righteousness, inaugurates Jesus' ministry of righteousness. And, I mean, you can see that through his whole ministry. I mean, he lived his entire life without sin. He lived a sinless, perfect life. And then you see in verse 17... The voice from heaven where the father then confirmed the righteousness of the son. He says, behold, a voice out of heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In whom I am well pleased. Again, giving testimony to his righteousness. And if we move to chapter 4, what does it say then in, in, in Matthew 4? Is it, well, verse 1, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry, and the tempter came to him. And then you, we know the rest of the story. Tempted him over three times. And what happened in here, what we're seeing in this passage, is that following the baptism, the Holy Spirit then leads him into the wilderness. 
He, and he fasts for 40 days. Now think, 40 days. How many people get hungry after four hours? <laughs> you know, some people, I, 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 I raise kids 40 minutes. Hey, when do we eat? Well, uh, you just did. You know, so, but, and so, you know, in a state of physical weakness, there was no spiritual weakness. As a matter of fact, I love it in that, go right down to ver- in, in chapter 4, verse 10. Not only did uh, <clears throat> Jesus demonstrated his righteousness, but also demonstrated his, his personal authority when he says, then Jesus said to him, that would be, be gone, Satan. And you notice you had an exclamation point that wasn't a request. I'd like you to leave. No, 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 no. This was Jesus speaking in order. Go, just get out of here. Go away. All right. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. Okay, so it was just the best thing he did all day. All right, the next, the next metaphor we come to is fire in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 3. <coughs> and again, this is the day of Pentecost. And here, the Holy Spirit... Well, I mean, uh, <coughs> let me just start at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind... And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they, and they rested on each of them. And then verse 4 goes on to say, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, or literally languages, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Okay, now here we have the initial coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, Matter of fact, we can take fire, and the next one on our list is wind. We kind of take them together. Starting with the fire, though. Now, fire is now <clears throat> is often used. You see that in Scripture where the presence of God is pictured by fire. Wouldn't that stand to reason that when God, the Holy Spirit, comes, fire would be a legitimate um, metaphor or a, or a word picture, a picture of it? Look at Exodus chapter 2. This, again, this is not something new. This is a passage we all know about. As a matter of fact, we saw that when we looked at the uh, uh, Theophanies. Exodus 3.2, the Theophany of the burning bush. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire. This is uh, Exodus 3.2. In the midst of a, of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight, why the, why the bush is not burnt up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Okay, so and he says, he said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then we move forward to chapter 13 of Exodus, 
13, 21, and 22, where it says, remember, now this is where they were leaving, they were moving out away, they were moving away, heading out toward the promised land. And the Lord God there, <clears throat> and the Lord was going before them in a pillar of, of, of cloud by day to lead them on the way and a, in a pillar of fire by night to give them light. And they might travel by day and by night. And he did not take away the pillar or the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before his people. So again, you see the Lord appears to uh, <clears throat> the people and he appeared, fire appeared with him. And so, a matter of fact, that, that we know those are theophanies again where he appeared as fire in that burning bush that did, wasn't consumed. And um, again, that was God. Now, and again, Acts 2, 3, back in Acts. Um, fire here again, a fitting symbol of God the Holy Spirit. Also, we move down, and we already read it in Acts 2, 1 to 3. It was also, wind is also a picture of the Holy Spirit. Where it says in, the, in Acts 2, there, where it says the, the, the sound like a violent rushing wind accompanying uh, the Holy Spirit's coming. And that wind was so loud, people outside that room heard it. You, you read through Acts 2, they heard it, they, that, and that gathered a crowd there. And then they came out of the door. Um, <clears throat> and I'll tell you this, uh, when they came out of that door... They turned the world upside down and hasn't. And the world's never looked back. Okay, it's it's was an amazing result. But they didn't. They came out with that with the real power of the Holy Spirit. And when we get into like being filled with and all that later uh, in our study, we're going to see that the key uh, <clears throat> follow up or the key product of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking the truth of God. Speaking the truth of God, you know. So, <clears throat> I guarantee you, it's like they, the, to some some circles, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, is like the ministry is like a, a ventriloquist or a puppeteer. No, 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 no. He's not. He's the leader into of us into all truth. See, when the Spirit comes, when the Helper comes, Jesus says He will lead you into all truth. Now. The wind, again, look at John 3. We've seen this passage before, but it's a very important passage for a number of reasons. It's, there's so much in that conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus that is often overlooked. In John 3, 6 through 8, we're going to see here that wind pictures the Holy Spirit as the agent of regeneration the agent of regeneration in salvation. John 3, 6. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus says, because Nicodemus says, you know, I don't get it. How can one be born again? I don't, I don't get it. John 3, 6 says, Jesus speaking, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but you do not know where it comes from and where it is going so is everyone who is born of the spirit and here we have wind as a picture or a metaphor of the holy spirit and we also know that <clears throat> the spirit 
uh, the word spirit, pneuma, can be translated breath, wind. See, you see the connection? Makes a perfect connection. And then, next one, water. And that we saw in uh, John, also John 3, but we're going to look at John 7 this time for that one. John 7, water. Seven thirty-eight and 39. Again, let me go to 37. I'll back up 37, pick up the context of this statement. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his intermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Now, what? my goodness, what's that all about? Well, keep reading. But this he spoke of the Spirit, <clears throat> whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay? So that rivers of living water, that's going to be produced by the Holy Spirit when he comes. And it's another interesting point here. Uh, back in John 3, 5, I should have warned you to keep a finger there. But back in 3, 5, it says, Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Remember, here the wind was used as a... Uh, <clears throat> A metaphor for the spirit as the agent of regeneration. And if you compare that to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36. And, <clears throat> and I believe Ezekiel, the fact that this passage, Ezekiel 36, let me just read it first and I'll make a statement. Ezekiel 36, verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. This is, again, the Lord speaking. <clears throat> you, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit capital S, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Now, right there, I believe that's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, after going through this whole conversation, Jesus turns and says to Nicodemus, what, you're the teacher of Israel, you don't know what I'm talking about? You don't know this? He, he, just, he just couldn't get it, it was baffling. And that's why I'm confident it's referring right back to this and Jeremiah 31, 31 about the new covenant. But especially this one, because this one mentions the water, the spirit, and the wind. And when you figure the wind blows where it will in John 3, you put that all together. Like you're just, you're, you're one. And, and he gets, you're the teacher and you don't, you don't understand this. That means in the context of that conversation, when zero New Testament was written. It's got to be something in the Old Testament. 
He's, he's not going to quote rabbinic traditions <laughs> that are man-made. So it's got to be something in the Old Testament that he's referring that he's referring to Nicodemus about. It's, it's got to be. It's got to be something out of God's word that you're a teacher and you don't know. See? And to, as we stand here this morning, Israel as a nation still doesn't know. Still doesn't know. But they will one day. When the, the day this Ezekiel passage and the Jeremiah 31 passage are fulfilled, that's when they'll know. That's when they'll know, and that's when they will fit this. They will fit this description. But well, there's exciting times ahead. That's all I can say for the church and Israel. Most of the church understands it. Israel doesn't have a clue yet. And our next one is oil. <clears throat> Another one we're probably going to end up talking about more as we move deeper into this discussion of the Holy Spirit. Oil, let's look at 2 Corinthians 1, 21. As a matter of fact, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and, and verse 22 for the next for pledge and seal also. So I'm going to read them all ahead of time, but I'll, then I'll back up. But uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Okay, so that takes the next three. You're all right here in this one passage. Anointing with oil. And that's what it's referring back to, and we'll, we'll look at that at some of the verses that are behind that statement. Anointing with oil in both Old and New Testaments symbolizes the appointment to an important position. Okay? A, a, an important position. Um, we don't have to turn, but example, the priests were anointed to the priesthood with oil. David, and that's in Exodus 49 through 15, and in 1 Samuel 16, 13, David was anointed to be king. Even before he, while Saul was still the king, um, Samuel anointed him to be king. And uh, there's a whole story behind it. But it was, a, it, was a, it was a symbolic of being appointed to something. Now, 2 Corinthians 1, 19 through 22, and I want to read this whole thing here. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were anointed by God to, to service for God. Let's back up. If you're still in 2 Corinthians 2, back up to verse 19. We'll read, read through this. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus, which is Silas, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but it is yes in him. It is, there's no question. The gospel, there's no, uh, there's no hemming and hawing, okay? Verse 20, for as many as may, be, as may be the promises of God, in him they are yes, whether also by him is our amen to the glory of God through us. But this is, the, the gospel is solid. Now, 
He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God. Anointed us is God. And he's referring to them and really everybody that's a believer. That's a pretty important position. Okay? Matter of fact, it's a, a whole lot better position to be a priest. Many of the priests went to hell, died and went to hell. Um, it's better than being anointed king. A lot of the old kings of, especially Israel, um, were not believers. I mean, just read through, you know, kings and chronicles, how often it says, and, you know. Yeah, or it's, it says, too, that they, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, this king reigned from and did evil in the sight of the Lord and did evil in the sight of the Lord. I think it says it of all the ones in the northern tribe. <laughs> you know, it's just, um, it's just, that was, again, did evil. Tip off, not in heaven, okay? <laughs> so, again, so being anointed means being um, appointed to an important position. And we, like Paul and Silas and Timothy, we are also appointed, anointed as servants of our God. That's why we exist. That's why we exist. That's, that's our job, too. It's in the, starting the Great Commission, and it goes on from there. That's, that's the position we have. It's an anointed position. That's not some... Small fry job. And look at First John too. First John. This is one of those passages I think would be one to take all by itself. It would make a, an exception, exceptional lesson for us all. <clears throat> it's one of those that might take more than one week too. But anyway. All believers are anointed by God to be his disciples. 1 John 2, 18 to 17. Children. 1 John 2, 18. Children. It is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know that it is the last hour. A, a term meaning for the last days in times. They went out from us, speaking of people that were supposedly believers, they went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they are not of us. Hey, when unbelievers fall away and leave, okay, that's the Lord's will. It's, quite frankly, if they're not of God's elect, it's better if they do go. That may sound harsh, but it's better if they do go. We don't need, we've got enough problems without false doctrine being <laughs> introduced all over the place and more divisions and splits come. Verse 20, but you, speaking of those that haven't left, but you, you believers. Now, he, now John is making a strict distinction between unbelievers and believers. Unbelievers are the ones that leave, not people that have a gripe, but <laughs> unbelievers, okay? Let's make that clear. But you, you who actually believe, verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know 
I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is, who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, <clears throat> let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. He's just saying it over and over and over, and just repetition. You know, in case you don't get it the first time, I think he's what number about down to the seventh time now. <laughs> and he just, oh, he's just saying it over and over and over again. You know, if you're God's whatever, truth will abide in you. Truth will abide in you. You know, here's how you don't have the truth. You believe in the Father, you believe in the Son, right? And then verse 25, and, <clears throat> and this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. Isn't that great? It's kind of like a little pause there. And this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Imagine that. And, and as for you, the anointing which you received from him, speaking of God, abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and it is true, and it is not a lie. And just as it is taught you, you abide in him. Okay. And it just keeps going. He's encouraging him to stay, abide, stay with him. Um, it kind of reminds me of the it's, it's almost like in a, a takeoff from the uh, Jesus. Remember, he talks about, I am the vine, you are the branches. Just abide, 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 abide. I mean, that truth. <clears throat> so again, we have an anointing. And our anointing is that we are chosen disciples of the King of Kings. That's kind of an important position, I would think. One that perhaps we're not, uh, we don't always live up to, but that's where we're at. <laughs> that's, that's what we're anointed to be, you know. So, I mean, it's a, it's a lot to live up to. It's a lot to live up to. Okay, look at the next one. We got pledge and seal. They were also, we can go back to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians 1, again, verse 22. I'll just pick up 21 again. Now he who established us with you in Christ, anointed us, is God. Okay? Who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Okay, we'll leave it with pledge here. Pledge is a guarantee like a down payment. Okay, now the indwelling Holy Spirit is God's pledge to his people that what he started in us, he will finish. He's going to bring it to completion in spite of us. I mean, I thought Philippians 1.6 immediately came to my mind. Philippians 1.6 says this, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The day of Christ Jesus. When's that? That's the 
second coming and all that goes with it until from this from this from the point of your salvation to the eternal state he's going to see us through we will be there why because he said so <laughs> and he is the one that started it he's the one that brought it to us he's the one that gave it to us and he's the one that's going to bring us home i mean that's a great truth that's my security comes from this not anything i do but it comes from this now our personal assurance comes from what we do but my security doesn't come from me it comes from his word it comes from his word for me and then the seal we saw that one in verse 22 but let's look at ephesians 4 or ephesians 1 let's start with ephesians 1 and we'll look at the, the, the Holy Spirit as a seal. Ephesians 1.13. This is... Ephesians chapter 1 um, is, one of the, is one of those... Uh, matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. <laughs> if you read... If you're not sure where salvation came from, read those two chapters. <laughs> you know, and if you don't get it by then, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> read it again. That's what I'll tell you. No, read it again. I mean, <laughs> um, but verse 13 says, In him you also, after, that's in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. I like that. Of promise. Of promise. Verse 14. Who has given us as a pledge. There's that word again. Of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. We are going to make it because we are the praise of his glory. He's not going to snub himself. Okay, we are to the praise of his glory. After listening, verse 13, to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him. Now, what's a seal? A seal is placed on anything, and it, it marks and stamps out ownership. The, the kings had signet rings, and when they wrote a letter, they'd put like wax down on paper, and they'd mark it with their signet ring, meanings. That's mine. Don't mess with it. Unless you can whip the king, don't go messing with that. Okay? Well, our king has a seal too, and it's the Holy Spirit. So Satan and anybody else concerned, don't mess with God's people. They're untouchable. Unless you can whip the king. <laughs> Sorry. We saw that in the garden, not in the garden, but in the uh, <clears throat> wilderness when Jesus was out there. Be gone, Satan. Be gone. No, no, we've got this thing because he's got this thing. I mean, we're, we're going. And, and to him, the glory. Ephesians 4.30. We're sitting, we're so, so close. Ephesians 4.30. Something we'll talk about later. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed 
for the day of redemption. Again, off into the future. That's security. We're going to be kept, we're going to be held, and we're, we're going to be taken all the way into our, to the eternal state. We're going to make it. We're going, we're going to be there. Matter of fact, we're, um, <clears throat> in, in, in many statements in the scripture, it's, it's stated as if we're actually already there. You know, whom he um, justified, he sanctified, and glorified. Well, we haven't experienced the glorified part yet. We're in the sanctified portion now. But he says it as if it's accomplished. Why? Because <laughs> God said it. was God's word. When God says it's as good as done. It's as good as done. You know, so that's why it can be phrased that way. And then the, uh, the final one, the final metaphor or word picture, if you will, is clothing. Luke 24, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. In the, that Luke 24 is a, one, of the, one of my favorite post-resurrection chapters. There's so much there. 2449, after uh, Jesus appears to them in the upper room, you know, and uh, <clears throat> points out that Scripture's been talking about him all along. And he says, you are witnesses of these things, verse 48. In 49, he says, and behold, I'm sending you forth the promise of my Father upon you. The promise of my Father upon you, but you're to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The prom- We've seen that word promise a couple of times already in reference to the Holy Spirit, Right? We're in Luke. Let's move to John 14. John 14. John 14, 16 and 17 says, now remember, now we're, now remember in John 14, we're in the what's often called the upper room discourse, the night of the Last Supper, all right? Jesus would be arrested that night, put on the cross the next day, and then three days risen. So very close proximity, these passages we're looking at when he says, uh, <clears throat> so that promise, John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Forever. How long is forever? Forever. <laughs> forever. Right? Uh, that, that is the spirit of truth. There's that word again. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you right now and will be in you. Very interesting. Remember, this is the night of the Last Supper. At that point in time, the Holy Spirit abides with you. He's there with you. But one day, he will actually be in you. That's why Jesus, remember, he preached that he taught that, you know, it's needful that I go. So when I go, the helper will come, and that's when he can be in you. And that's where 
Um, we'll look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, 1 through 5. <clears throat> Acts 1, 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, <clears throat> about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he was taken up and after he had by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also uh, presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God and gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. Wait for what the Father had promised, which... He said, you heard, from, you heard of me, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, there's the promise, the promise of the Spirit coming. And, that's, and that fulfilled, remember we just read, he is in, in, at the upper room, he is with you, but come Pentecost, he will be in you. And then... We're in Acts 1. Look at Acts chapter 2. And this we'll just close with the story of the promise received. Okay? And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation <clears throat> under, under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were, they were each one hearing them speak in their own language. Or that's the word, Greek word, I believe, for dialect, their own dialect. And so there you have it. The Spirit came, the, the proof that it was actually a miraculous act of God. You had a bunch of people. Ah, these are just a bunch of uneducated fishermen coming out, speaking in all these different dialects and languages. Okay? And um, they never went to school for it. So anyway, but again... These metaphors and so forth, that's what they are, metaphors. Um, and they do, when we look at them, they do show different aspects and truths about the Holy Spirit. So let's, uh, let's close and return. Father God, again, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, through your Holy Spirit, that we do have the means to understand these things. Again, Lord, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.